0: Okay, we're uh we're back at it many guys who aren't from oklahoma barely have no idea we don't like them it's personal <laughs> how about them cowboys
1: we are back at it welcome back to another edition of the pistols firing podcast i'm carson cunningham joined as always by colby powell colby happy new year
0: happy new year indeed 2024 off to a pretty good start. Um, Yeah, decent amount to get to today. College football playoff was a lot of fun. NFL, my Dallas Cowboys had a good weekend, a weird good weekend. So, yeah, all is good right now in the sports world. PGA Tour season starts tomorrow. All is good. Mason
1: Rudolph just balling.
0: Oh, man, how about that? Uh, Kenny Pickett's healthy, and they assigned him a clipboard. Good for well, Mason. They
1: should. It's was like the first time they'd scored 30 points in back-to-back games in eons, so... They clearly have learned the error of their ways. So it's great to see Mason having success. Uh, we got Yeah, we got plenty to get to, a lot of OSU football news to get to. We're going to do a little bit of New Year's resolutions for OSU football as well as some of our own, so um, let's get right to it. Colby, I think the biggest news this week, Brennan Presley uh, officially announcing he is returning to Oklahoma State, uh, a seismic return for Oklahoma State. As you consider, the receiver room is – has some serious attrition. You do get uh, Dijon Stribling back. But, um, Colby, with the return of the offensive line, with the return of Ollie Gordon, we'll have to wait and see on quarterback. Uh, things are shaping up to be a big 2024 for OSU.
0: Yeah, it's one of those years where um, it's going to be the opposite of what expectations were this year. I, I think people kind of expected this year to be a little bit of an unknown, and we'll kind of see how it goes, and they exceeded expectations. Going into next year, expectations are going to be I mean, I, I really think the fan base is going to be sitting on an 11-1 and one type year going in. Like, that's going to be the expectation. Um, and, you know, expectation, that's a privilege, right? That I means you've done some things well. Everybody decided to come back. They want to be a part of the program. Brennan, he he's just – he's been there a while, and because there's been so much change and college football's been different and they haven't won a Big 12 title despite getting there twice – I think maybe we take for granted just how much he's done in his career. He's currently fourth on the Oklahoma State all-time receiving list, and I don't see any reason other than injury why he wouldn't be able to add. He needs, let's see, 69 nice catches to pass for Sean Woods on the all-time receptions list going into next season. So, yeah, a big commitment for Oklahoma State, and it really kind of is just another piece that sets the table when you've got Ollie running between the tackles, Brendan um, out wide on the on the quick passes to to get the defender's having to cover sideline to sideline. Rashad Owens down the field. It, it sets up something that could be potentially special for Oklahoma State on that side of the ball.
1: Yeah, I have much more on, you know, Brennan's return in terms of the offense and some of my resolutions I want to get to, but just when you when you look at the list, Colby, I mean, just think about all the receivers OSU's had. I mean, it would take 5 minutes to go over all the big time, you know, college football hall of fame worthy receivers they've had, but number 1's Rashawn Woods, 2 Justin Blackman, three James Washington, four Brennan Presley, five Hartley Dykes. I mean, that's receiver royalty right there. And he does it in much different ways than those guys. Uh, It's not all, they don't all have to look the same, but it just kind of proves to you how good he's been over the course of his career and just how massive a return he is. Um, I'm not sure how tempted he was to leave. He did quote Ollie Gordon, said he's going to do it on his own time. So I guess it wasn't that big of a surprise, but um, he's certainly a guy I think that could have commanded something in the NIL market. He certainly could try his hand in the NFL because the NFL loves those little slot type receivers. Not sure he'd be drafted that high based on his measurables, but he certainly had a decision to make. And I, I think it's a testament to OSU and the fact they're able to keep not just him, but Ollie and all the guys I've mentioned on the offensive line. It's It's a much different outlook for the program than it was this time last year.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's, um, You talk about him going to the NFL, he kind of reminds me of of – like a Zay Flowers rookie in Baltimore, maybe not quite as quick as Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers is just absolute lightning, but kind of uh, cut from that same cloth. And I think that there might be a place for him on Sundays. We've said that about a lot of guys. And look, there's 200 schools feeding guys into the NFL. It's it's hard to get on those rosters. You have to get in the right situation with the right staff, the right GM, everybody that loves you. And then you got to perform in the right moments to make those rosters. Uh, and we'll get to some of the Oklahoma State guys who have been doing that in big, big ways recently in the NFL. But yeah, the NFL... IL market, he certainly would have been a hot commodity, but I, I think he looked around and saw what all he saw and what the offensive linemen saw, and that is a team that next year has a chance to do something pretty spe- special. Will likely be the favorite or amongst the favorites to win the Big Twelve Conference. No OU, no Texas, so you'll be on uh, as far as like talent wise and in the trenches and stuff like that. You'll be on a more level ground, I would say, with the the top players in the conference, like what Texas was able to do this season with their resources, their money, their recruiting. I mean, those lines are just – that offensive and defensive line, schools like Oklahoma State just don't have the resources to put that together. Um, But this season could be pretty special for Oklahoma State. I I really hope that Casey Dunn – spends all off season with some creative ways to make sure that Oklahoma state can use the entire field and make life miserable for defenses because he's got the personnel to do it. And I really think Ali, um, Rashad Owens, and Brendan Presley, I think those three can have a, a special special season next year where they uh, put up some numbers to have to watch scroll across the ESPN bottom line on Saturday nights.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and to the point about stability and all of those things we've talked at, at length about Mike's kind of reversal on, his outlook on NIL, his outlook on the, on the portal. And I thought there was a really good quote here from Mike on uh, Heartland college sports. He says, uh, we have made adjustments as coaches. I have made adjustments as a head coach and trying to stay ahead of the volatility of college football. And one thing we can do as coaches is take care of our players, be upfront and honest with them and continue with discipline, structure, accountability, and loyalty. Then they make the decision on what they want to do. They play the games. We don't play the games. And I, I think that's that's not a huge departure of what Mike said in the past, but I, I do think it's important that he's noted just how volatile the sport has become and how he's doing a better job of of meeting with the players. And I think it's also really important to note that Mike's stance on discipline and accountability, you know, in, in the year 2023, that's not something that we generally think young players, young people in college value. But I do think you know now. That I don't mean to make a this is a wild comparison, but now that I'm a, a stepfather, like I think I, one thing I've learned about children is they crave structure. They they actually do like rules. They do like structure. They they really thrive in it. I think you look at a guy like Nick Saban. You know, he's he's known as a bit of a hard ass, but he, he's he's obviously been able to recruit at a high level and keep talent at a high level. And I don't think that's all that much different than Mike. I, I think the the fact that he's reversed this course on the NIL and Portal stuff, I think it only instills his values even more because I do think there's, Colby, that young football players, they like structure. They they like discipline. They, they need it. They crave it. And I think it's just a way for Mike to kind of channel his beliefs, his own personal beliefs, into a positive way by meeting with these guys and tell them up front this is how it's going to be. And I think a lot of guys are buying in. That's what we're seeing this this offseason is guys like the way Mike Gundy does things. He he does allow them freedom with shorter practices. He allows them freedom in a lot of different ways, but he does not budge on his values. And I think we're starting to see young players at Oklahoma State in the system buying into that culture. He talks about cowboy culture and all that, but that's really what it is. It's discipline and it's structure, and it's a, a coach that knows what he's doing in terms of the types of players he wants to recruit and keep on his roster. And I, I think we're start, starting to see that the buy-in is almost 100% there from his roster.
0: Yeah. And, and as you're talking there, it, it kind of got me to thinking about what does it mean to be a player's coach, right? Cause that, that word gets thrown around. And sometimes I think that that word gets used in the wrong context um, in the sense that like a player's coach just lets his guys do whatever they want and everything's fun all the time. And, and I don't think that that's what a player's coach is. I think a player's coach is someone who demands the absolute best out of his guys um, and, and who wants them to work hard, who works them hard, who expects them to be disciplined, to make the right choices, to do the right things, but he does so in a way that lets his players know that they are loved, that they are cared for, and that that coach wants them to succeed and be the absolute best that they can be. Um, An example from the NFL, I'll throw Mike Tomlin out there. Um, I think... Aside from Antonio Brown, and there were some other things going on there, recording in the locker room, stuff like that. I think Mike Tomlin has always been known as a guy who expects the best, who has discipline, they run things a certain way, but also his players love him and they love to play for him. And this is his 17th year in the NFL, and he once again, now with his third quarterback, who's now QB1, um, has once again had a winning season, never had a losing season in 17 years. I I think, like you said, that discipline and that structure – it, it allows guys to know what they can and can't get away with. It allows young men who are learning how to be grown men um, know what it means to make good decisions, know what it means to make bad decisions, consequences of their actions, all these different things, being part of a team, being there for the guy next to you. I, I just think that Mike Gundy has been so – consistent in what he has asked of his players over his tenure at Oklahoma State Um, and there have been peaks and there have been valleys in in terms of wins and losses but he's been very consistent with what he expects from his players and I think year after year that resonates with guys and then when you do have a good season where you fall behind a lot in the second half and you come back and you win games and and you really have to overcome a lot of things but you do it together as a group then I think it just reinforces the buy-in of all these guys that all this work we're doing everything we're putting into this the things that Mike Gundy wants us to do in this coaching staff it's all worth it it all works make be disciplined make the sacrifices and see the success on the other side because that's that's life right um life takes discipline life takes sacrifices and if you can do the right things uh well for a long period of time then you'll see success on the other side and I think that that's what Mike Gundy has really gotten out of his players over the last nearly 20 years now
1: and I I certainly think it helps too. I mean these guys aren't these guys don't have their head in the sand. They can see what all their former teammates did elsewhere. They certainly didn't have as much team success, and I think by and large other than maybe Jabbar Muhammad and Thomas Harper, they didn't have as much personal success. So I think that was a big learning experience for the guys that stuck around to look elsewhere and say, "You know what? We got a pretty good thing going here at Oklahoma State. My my head coach clearly knows what he's doing because we keep winning more than these other programs that are supposedly better. And now certainly NIL comes into play with some of those decisions. But I look at a guy like John Paul Richardson. Um, the receiver rooms got some spots open for for more playing time. I, I wonder how happy he is at TCU versus what he had at Oklahoma State. So I, I think these guys too have also looked elsewhere, Colby, and said, you know what? I kind of like it here. I kind of like my role here. Mike's been pretty honest with me. I I think the, the lack of success from others entering the portal last year could also factor into some of these decisions.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because we talk about coaches and staffs learning from the transfer portal and learning how to evolve with it. But I think players are also learning a little bit about it too. Like, I mean, they can look around and they can see all these guys hopping in the portal and going to these places. And the percentage of those guys who increase their situation maybe isn't as high as what people would think. Um, Obviously, Jabbar Muhammad did that. He's going to play for a national championship on Monday night, and, man, do I hope that he wins it. He was great the other night against Texas. He's a fantastic player. Uh, Thomas Harper, he was the starting safety for Notre Dame all season. He had a good year. Uh, We saw Jarrett Bernard, what was it, two, three years ago, go down to uh, LSU and have a good year down there. But on the whole, whenever you look at the amount of guys who left Oklahoma State and went elsewhere, I mean, these are a few... That we're picking out and pointing to as okay, this guy made what was clearly the right decision for himself, went and had a ton of success elsewhere. That's I mean 10%. 10% of the guys who've left over the last couple of years is what I just rattled off. What about the other 90%? Those guys are getting some reps here and there, not really putting up any numbers, playing for teams going six and six that doesn't look all that appealing. So I, I think that players are learning from the portal um, and, and maybe willing a little bit more to be a Rashad Owens type than a John Paul Richardson.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's true. And I, on this note, uh, OSU did suffer a loss to the portal. Uh, redshirt freshman corner DJ McKinney has entered the portal. And I, I think it's also important to note these are case-by-case spaces here with these players. And I, I think in the case of DJ McKinney, he's a redshirt freshman, Played really well, uh, did a, did a great job when he was on the field. But OSU has a, a pretty deep corner room here. I mean, they they've got a lot of guys that he may potentially see getting playing time ahead of him. Uh, you know, uh, Corey Black, Cam Smith, Kale Smith. Um, there's there's others too. I think that maybe this is more of a case Colby where he he didn't like the looks of the room in terms of the amount of opportunities he'll get next year. But that's probably one of the more significant losses they've had, even though he is just a redshirt freshman
0: yeah I'd, I'd be curious to know what went into his decision. Um, he was PFF's second graded corner this year behind uh, Corey Black and this is this is a loss for Oklahoma State because he's a corner with size he's listed at six foot two 190 and i really like some of the things that dj mckinney did this year maybe it was the crowding in the room um i, I don't know maybe he felt like he started to put things together this year and, and maybe he looks out and sees a Jabbar muhammad and gets excited for that and and maybe maybe he wants to go somewhere where maybe he can be Jabbar muhammad but i don't know i, I feel like he maybe could have been that at Oklahoma state next year with what sets up to potentially be a special season. So maybe it is the crowded room. You mentioned Corey black, all the Smiths, uh, Cam, kale, Dylan. I, th- <laughs> I think that's all the Smiths in the second <laughs> secondary is just going to be Smiths pretty soon. Um, but, yeah, I I wish him well. I, I enjoyed watching him play this last year. Again, that size is something that you just can't coach. If a guy can really cover at six foot two, then that's a, just a major advantage against some of these outside receivers. Uh, I mean, we see what Rashad Owens, who's a taller guy, did to some of these smaller corners all year long. It's just w- when there's a bigger receiver out there against a smaller corner and that receiver can high point the football, it's not a fair fight. So, having a guy like DJ McKinney with size matters. Um, and I, I hope he goes somewhere and has success, but I'm, I'm disappointed that it won't be an orange and black.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, OSU does get Colin Clay. He announces his return to the defensive tackle. He's been kind of marred by injuries through his first few years, but he was a solid contributor on the defensive line. Xavier Benson and Alex Hale both declared for the NFL draft. So there's some more news and notes there. I mean, Xavier Benson's played a ton of football. Colby had that huge, probably the biggest play of the game against A&M with that forced fumble. And Alex Hale turned into a really solid kicker. I thought he tailed off a little at the end of the year, had another missed field goal against A&M. But... OSU has been so solid at the kicking position. I, I expect that to continue with Hale going to the NFL, but Benson Hale to the draft, and and Colin Clay's coming back. So there's some some of the uh, roster movement moving forward this week.
0: Yeah, kickers are a fickle bunch. Loved Alex Hale. He did a lot of good things <clears throat> time with Oklahoma State, and you hope that that will just continue to carry over. But you never really know with kickers, and that can be uh, massively, massively important. So hopefully that continues for Oklahoma State. The Xavier Benson loss is one that Oklahoma State will feel a little bit. He was kind of the Devin Harper to Nick Martin's Malcolm Rodriguez. Um, he was a really good Robin to Batman this year. He And, and he's made plays throughout his time at Oklahoma State. Um, he's just come up in the right spot a lot of times in big moments and big games. Like you mentioned against a and the other night, he had a couple of really nice plays in Bedlam earlier this season. He's a good player. So uh, that's a guy that you'll certainly miss as long as Nick Martin comes back. I'm not too worried about the linebacker room because you, you've got your Batman out there and then you just need somebody else to fill in and and do some things. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll be, a little nervous, just tentatively nervous about the losses of Xavier Benson and Alex Hale and what that means next year. And hopefully there will be some productive players to fill those roles so that um, it won't end up being a a glaring weakness on the team next year. That's all you're trying to avoid whenever guys declare for the NFL draft because you don't declare for the NFL draft if you were not a pretty good college player. I think you might have yourself on mute there, Carson.
1: I do that every time I mute. My bad. Uh, I did find this article interesting from Bill Haston. He kind of did his own college football playoff with the best teams in Oklahoma State history. You and I both agree, right? The 2011 team is probably winning it. Uh,
0: 2011 team is winning it I probably by a lot.
1: Yeah. And so like what I was interested in is how he ranked them. So he has 2011, the number one seed. He's got 2021 the Fiesta Bowl champs as the number two seed. No disagreements there. Uh, number three, he has the 2010 Cowboys. With, you know, Weedon Blackman first getting going with Dana Holgerson. They went 11-2 and that year. They were third in the nation in scoring, second in passing yards. Still no arguments from me. Uh, any from you?
0: Oh, I'm waiting for that 88 team to pop up. I, I
1: Well, I, mean, I, I think this is just the, the, the Gundy era.
0: Yeah, okay, this makes a lot more sense because I'm sitting here like, man, this is a great list, but, I mean, these defenses are going to have to deal with Barry Sanders and whenever they load
1: the <laughs> ball. Yeah, no, just are... Gundy era.
0: Okay, Gundiera. Yes, I have no problems.
1: All right, here's where I have strong disagreements. Number four is the 2017 Cowboys, kind of a disappointing year with Mason Rudolph. They did go 10 and three. Uh, they averaged at least 45 points, but they had those home losses. I think all three came at home that year. I'd probably you? put them a little lower. Let me just go through the list here, and I'll, I'll have you rank them. Okay. Okay. Uh, number five, the 2016 Cowboys. They went 10 and three had that controversial loss to Central Michigan. Then they beat Texas for a seven-game winning streak. They won the Alamo Bowl in a blowout against Colorado. Number six, the 2013 Cowboys, who should have won the Big 12 that year with Clint Shelf. Uh, number seven is the 2015 Cowboys that somehow started 10-0 and got rocked in the Sugar Bowl by Ole Miss. And number eight would be this year's Cowboys, 2023. So for me, Colby, I would have the 2013 team number four. He had it 2017 at four. He had the 2016 at five, which I, I'm not quite sure. I guess just the the bowl win, you know, that 2013 team did lose to Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. But I just think the 2013 team was one of the best defenses they've ever had. I think it was right up there with the 2011. And that yeah. offense was was humming at the end of the year with, with once they finally played shelf the majority of the season. That 2013 team was the best team in the Big 12. So I'd probably have them four instead of 2017 and even ahead of 2016.
0: Yeah, twenty thirteen was a really fun year. Um, is that the year they they got after Baylor at home?
1: Yes, that was the freezing cold. The the throwback pass to Chelf they just blew him off the map. And Baylor at that time was like a top three team in the country.
0: Yeah, Chelf went nuclear in that game. He's he's still underrated in Oklahoma State lore uh, in terms of of quarterbacks that have come through Stillwater. I would probably have the thirteen team a little bit higher. I don't have a problem with them at four. It's to me the the Mason teams are really tough to rank and to evaluate because those teams with Mason were really good. um, And I remember that was at a time when the offensive line was, was really kind of in a down place. And you know, that, that seventeen season you lose to TCU, your first conference game after blowing out Pittsburgh on the road. And it, it was the depth at of offensive line, that, that TCU game, you're missing your right tackle and your right guard, and you can't keep your quarterback upright throughout the game. You get beat at home. Then you lose to Oklahoma on the heartbreaker, the Abdul Adams um, silliness, James Washington hurt down the stretch of that game uh justice hill doesn't touch it on the final drive even though there's three minutes left that one was painful um kansas state byron pringle goes nuts like that that 2017 team i just feel like was so much better than what the result was at the end of the season so that makes it really hard for me to evaluate because i think that that was one of the better offenses in school history and yet they lost three home games um and didn't win the conference, so that that team to me is probably the toughest one on this list to evaluate.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think Masons didn't have quite the offensive lines that Whedon had. Certainly not the defenses that Whedon had as well. Um, he kind of has the semis of, and this is kind of where the difference, you know, he he has. Let's see here. He has the twenty. Uh, let's see here. Sorry, twenty seventeen. Basically, what he says is, you know, in 2010, he has that 2010 team making the semis. They had, in 2010 and 2011, they had the best offensive line in the Big 12. And he has that as pretty much a deciding factor throughout. Uh, so he basically has it boiled down to 2011 uh, beating the 2010 team. Because he says, you know, Kendall Hunter, he said in the semis, the 2011 Cowboys would beat 2017. The Hunter run game would be the difference with that offensive line. And so... That's kind of the biggest difference for me, Colby. Is not only were their defenses better in 2010 and 2011, their offensive line under Wickline was just far and away the best in the Big 12. And I think that's what that's probably what kept Mason. You know, he ended up setting school records with passing yards. You know, Washington had a school record with uh, yards per reception when the Blitnikoff because they had to throw it. They they really couldn't run the balls effectively.
0: Uh when did Russell Okung depart? He was, 2010 was his first year in the NFL. Okay, so he wasn't on those lines. I would have thought that he was, just thinking back to how good unsolid those lines were but he was gone just before that um yeah the O line was a big deciding factor in that one mason struggled to stay upright throughout his career whereas 2010 and 2011 oklahoma state was really just kind of mauling people up front those were some special seasons um 2011 continues to be just the most special season in school history that was ruined by one bad day but uh that's a painful memory that we don't need to dredge up any further because this is a fun list as we rank teams of Oklahoma State history, let me ask you this, Carson. Let me flip it back on you. Where is the 24 team going to fall on this list? That's right. on January 3rd. I'm asking you to put the 24 team on this list without even knowing who the quarterback is.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's the key, right? I mean, I would certainly have them above the. Tw- I don't understand the 2016 team being so high. Uh, I think it would be. I think it's going to be better than this year's team too. Who they they ring up the eighth spot, the, the last seed. So I'd probably put them in the six to seven range without even knowing who the quarterback is. I think they're that good on the offensive line and the skill talent. And I know the defense had their struggles, but year two under Nardo, I expect them to be better as well.
0: I think that the ceiling for next year's team on this list would be two. Um, And I think that the floor could be not being in the top eight. I, I mean, things could go wrong, but here's why I say the ceiling is number two. Next year is the first year with no U in Texas in the Big 12, and it's the first year of the expanded CFP. So if Oklahoma State goes 10-2 or 11-1 and they win the Big 12 title game next year, good chance that they're going to get into that 12-team playoff, and that will, in a sense, shape how we view them because that's just a bigger deal than one of these BCS. I mean, that's a bigger deal than the 21 Fiesta Bowl if this team makes the college football playoff. So um, I think the ceiling on-, on this list for this team is 2 but I'll, obviously, a lot of things have to go right for them to achieve that.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think the schedule will give them the opportunity to go 10, 10 or 11 wins. So we'll have to see who the heck the quarterback's going to be. We're still waiting that out for uh, Alan Bowman, his waiver with the NCAA, yet to be decided. So that that's going to be crucial for me. Are uh, you ready for some New Year's resolutions? Are we doing ours or uh, OSU football?
0: Um, I'll let you decide. You can drive that bus.
1: Uh, let's. This is an OSU football podcast. So let's start there. Uh, I've got five. Four. How many do you have?
0: Uh, I've got four. So since okay. you, I'll go first. That way you don't steal my first one. Um, Cause I think my first one's pretty good. And my first one is a resolution specifically for Casey Dunn. And I wrote down two words next to his name, more motion, more motion, more motion, more motion, more motion, get guys moving constantly, make defenses, think about more things, um, You've got Brennan. Use him side to side. Make teams defend sideline to sideline. Get in their heads. Um, you've got Rashad Owens down the field. stribling coming back is going to be nice. If everyone stays healthy, teams are going to have to worry so much about Ollie Gordon that it's going to open up so many things for other guys. I would just say more motion for Casey Dunn um, to keep the defense moving, keep their eyes moving, and, and maybe have somebody rotating over half a second to a second late, which is about all Ollie or Brennan need.
1: No, I love that. I think that's something they started doing a lot once they went on their run and didn't do as much against a and i A&M. I'm not sure if that was just what they were running, but that needs to be a focal point of the offense for sure. I kind of have a a tie-in with that with one of mine as well. But my number one, Colby, the number one lesson coming out of 2023, you have to pick a quarterback. I don't care who it is, but game one, you say this is our starter. He's playing the whole game unless he gets hurt. Uh, so pick a quarterback. If it's Alan Bowman, that decision obviously becomes much, much easier. But if it's between Rangel, Floors, and and the new guy coming in, Smith from California, so be it. Pick a guy. I think we've seen this happen before. You know, they they did, you know, there's hesitancy for Mike to play true freshman. But I had heard a lot of buzz from Wes Lunt in, in, in fall camp. He actually picked Wes Lunt over – Shelf and rode him till he got hurt. And that was the year everybody got hurt. I think that's the game. But that's that's what he needs to go back to is is picking a guy, even if it's the freshman, you pick him and you play him. Um you can argue with the success of picking West Lunt, but he he was the best quarterback on the roster going into that year from based on things I had heard. So I don't care who it is, Colby, pick a quarterback.
0: Uh yeah, I'm with you. That's uh my my next one I had written down for Mike Gundy, lock in your depth chart before September first is what I <laughs> A roundabout way of saying, let's not run three quarterbacks out there in four quarters in a random rotation that doesn't seem to make any sense and clearly threw off the chemistry of the offense. It's It was just a glaring mistake early in this season that is just about the only thing Mike Gundy did wrong this year. I mean, mean, he righted all the wrongs. It was a great year, Um, but you still have to look back at that September and think, what? What was going on? So, yeah, I wrote lock in your depth chart before September 1. Um, I think if Bowman comes back, that'll make the decision pretty easy because I can't imagine with all the success they had down the stretch that he wouldn't be the starter coming out of fall camp. Uh, But if Bowman's not back, which is a very real possibility – then yeah, pick one of your young guys, run him out there and let that be your guy and let the offense have a chance to operate um, under whoever it is that you choose. Don't, don't have a quick leash because guys don't play well under those circumstances either. If they know like one or two mistakes is going to get them pulled, then they're not as free throwing the ball. It just doesn't work. So pick a guy, run him out there, trust him and, and give it a few weeks uh, before you even consider making a change.
1: Yeah, and Alan Bowman too. I think he was uh, one of the highest graded offensive bowl game performances of the year. He's right there behind Penix, Dart, uh, Jaden Higgins, Miller Moss, Bo Nicks, and then it's Alan Bowman. He so he was one, two, three, four, five, top six bowl performer in terms of highest graded performances, and that includes you know skill, talent as well. So that that tells you how well he played in the bowl game and why they would like to see him come back. So I think that's that's well put. Uh, number two for me, I wrote down run game extension. And to me, it ties in with your your idea on more motion. I don't, like, you just go back to some of the most successful offenses OSU's had. I'll never forget that AM game in 2011. I was there in College Station, and they'd really shut down OSU in the first half. And Munkin comes out and basically just throws exclusively those little wide receiver bubbles, wide receiver screens, whatever terminology you want to use. They're like five, six-yard pop run. They're basically five, six-yard run plays. That's how high percentage they are. And as we saw against AM, it's pretty simple. You throw a wide to a Brennan Presley, you run it with Ollie Gordon, and you go deep to your you know you have your stribling back, you're gonna have Owens back. Do more of that. There was times this year where you know Brendan Presley had a great last four or five games of the year, but he was kind of gone missing there in the early portion of the schedule. And I and it doesn't just have to be him. You know, your younger talent can do the same things on the edges. It just seems like sometimes they get away. From what should be their bread and butter. And I think the run game extension with the wide receiver screen game is paramount. I think it's it's huge to get Presley back as well because that's what he does best.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And that really, uh, you talk about that reception record, the all-time record. I mean, he could have a game or two next year, like the one that he just had against AM, where he could rack up 30 catches in two weeks. And uh that's not out of the realm of possibility because if teams have to focus so much on Ollie, then why wouldn't you just swing it out there and give him a a quick seven yards? Like, That's a productive play, and then they start having to worry about that and how to get that shut down. It it opens up lanes for Ollie. I mean, you're just talking about making teams defend just all the way from one sideline to the other, and it's not an easy thing to do. Um, Again, especially I just keep pointing out with Rashad Owens down the field. He's going to see a lot of man coverage next year, I think, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Next, Carson, I'm switching over to the other side of the ball. I don't think that this one's going to be a big surprise to anyone. Brian Nardo, New Year's resolution, fix the big play problem you fix it you've got to fix it um it's really the knock on oklahoma state's defense this year it was year one for brian nardo they transitioned to a new system most of these guys are back they're going to be playing in the same system again next year i don't know if these are communication breakdowns it seems like at at some level it has to be when you've got guys running so wide open at times down the field and you're giving up so many 20 plus yard plays um those are just killers make teams put drives together so in year number two i think that the um the grace extended to brian nardo will be a little bit smaller especially with the weight of all these plays with what this team could potentially achieve it's going to need to be uh all things firing from day one for oklahoma state defensively so the 20 plus 30 plus 40 plus yard plays that stuff has to stop for oklahoma state defensively
1: absolutely that's my number three i wrote down i initially wanted to write down more pressure on the quarterback i feel like they didn't do that a lot in the back half of the year but i looked it up they're tied for third in the big 12 in sacks they were first in forced fumbles first in fumble recoveries i think that's a Testament to the three-three-five defense. So there is a lot to build on here. And what I wrote down finally was first half defense. And I think that goes into what you're saying. They gave a ton of big plays in the first half. The second half adjustments were incredible. I would just like to see them parlay that into the first half performances because you're right. Too many big plays. Too many busts. I think a lot of that's due to a first year coordinator, terminology, all of those things. There's, they're understandable. But I think it's also important to note what I mentioned and that there's a lot to build on here, that you saw the benefits of his system with all those fumble recoveries, all those forced fumbles. That's because you have quicker, rangier guys attacking the football, and that's the, that's that's huge, and that's what his system's built upon.
0: Yeah, and next year, you mentioned the first-half defense. A lot of similar opponents in the Big 12s over the last decade. Going to be a lot of opponents you're not very familiar with next year. So the scouting, the amount of tape that they're going to have to watch throughout the offseason with with programs that are going to have the same coaches just to understand what these schools do. Because, I mean, year in, and year out, we've known what Iowa State's going to do. We know what Kansas State's going to do. We know what Baylor's going to do. I don't, I don't know what Utah's bringing in from a system standpoint. I don't know what Arizona is going to run against Oklahoma State. I don't know exactly what Dion's offense is going to look like when Oklahoma State travels to Boulder next year. So the first half uh, defense, like you mentioned, I think is going to be key in these games against unfamiliar opponents that you don't get caught off guard right off the jump.
1: Yep, I agree. What do you got next?
0: Uh, my next one, and this is number four for me, Ollie Gordon, talk with your play. Look up at the scoreboard at the end of the day. Point at the box score, and that is how you talk your trash. Um, you're the guy. You just won the Doak Walker Award. You you against BYU. You did the Heisman pose in the end zone. You're the guy. They want to hit you. They want to take you to the ground. And guess what? They've seen the film. They know that you get a little fired up when somebody starts running their mouth. And I get it. He's a passionate player. That's what he does. And and you don't want to take that part away from him. But you want to minimize it to a level um, where it's not a distraction to him. Right? Because I I don't think it was a distraction to his his teammates. But in the Texas Bowl, it seemed like he was really interested in just getting up and talking on every play. We talked about the flopping last week. Stop the flopping. Ollie Gordon, we love you. Do your talking with your play because it is it it speaks loudly, loudly. So um, I hope that we'll see more of that next year from Ollie.
1: And right or wrong, Colby, the Heisman's a bit of a popularity contest. Uh, and people that aren't associated with Oklahoma State, flat out don't like Ollie Gordon based on his antics. I mean, the the slamming of the helmets on the sidelines, all the stuff you've mentioned with the flopping. Like, I think people think we're being hard on him, but that's just that's just the truth. Like, you're becoming a, an unlikable player nationally when, when people who aren't associated with OSU tune in to watch you. Uh, so, you know, you want the Heisman hype and the buzz that your play is going to do the work, but if it come down, comes down to you and another player with similar statistics, I, people are biased. People, people vote with what they see. And so I look, we all love him. Uh, we don't mean to be too hard on him, but that, this is just a fact it's, it's, you're the face of the program. And I don't think Mike Gunny wants the face of his program flopping, like managing nobly he just, he just doesn't. So I I agree with that one. My number four, uh, you have one more thing to add there.
0: Oh, no, I was just saying good callback on Manu and his flopping.
1: He was the originator. He he brought that South American soccer flopping to the NBA. Now it's everywhere. Um, for me, my number four is is Kendall Daniels and what to do with him. I I would like to see not a position change because I do think in a lot of ways, you know, we talk about positionless basketball all the time. I kind of think. Kendall Daniels is kind of a positionless football player. But what I do know is he really struggled in pass coverage. And it's pretty simple to see what he thrives in. And that is attacking the football, that is locating the football, and going to make a hit. You look at his most productive game last year, to me it's no coincidence. It's West Virginia. He had eight solo tackles, uh, three assisted, forced fumble, and and a fumble recovery. And why was that? Because he was spying a mobile quarterback in Garrett Green. Now, I know you can't just spy him all year against, you know, pocket passers. I'm not implying that. I would like to see a potential move to linebacker, kind of a linebacker hybrid type. You know, OSU used to have the star linebacker position with Andre Sexton. He was built kind of like a linebacker, but was technically a safety. They kind of moved him around a lot. I would like to see them play to the Kendall Daniels strengths. I don't think he's a true all in out safety. Based on what I saw in past coverage this year, I think they can really unlock him by kind of being a maybe just a straight up linebacker. I don't know. You can use him on the edge. You can use him in a ton of different ways, rushing the passer. I think there's a lot left to to get out of Kendall Daniels, and I think a position tweak, I'll call it, not a change, a position tweak would go a long way.
0: Yeah, almost like a young Jamal Adams. Uh, maybe not necessarily the way they're, they're using him now. Seattle struggled defensively for a few years, but when Jamal Adams came into the league, um, they had him around the line of scrimmage a lot, just playing an aggressive, almost like a rover, just a utility fielder, um, and, and I'm sure that there was a lot more structure to it than we can see from the outside, but it was like, look, man, be aggressive, go get the quarterback, go get the ball carrier, just go get somebody. And I do think that that would be a better role for Kendall Daniels because I do feel like we've seen him get lost in coverage sometimes on the back end. The reality is your safety is going to have to cover like you you can't just not have your safety ever cover It's part of the game Um, and he needs to improve that area. But I do think that Brian Nardo can do a lot of things with the structure of the defense to get Kendall Daniels creeping down closer to the line in some, some exotic blitz packages, some of those things. Um, when you're playing against a team with a, a strong run game, you can have him down inside some more. Kind of like what we saw, I think it was in the second half against BYU. They really brought him down, and he was filling gaps in the run game, and hitting guys hard. Um, and he's really good in those situations. So uh, I think a young Jamal Adams maybe is, is what's coming to mind for me in terms of how they can use Kendall Daniels' little bit better to his skill set
1: yeah I mean he's such a unique player I, I really like that comparison I just kind of positionless football is what I want to see from him uh, my fifth and final one is the name Kale Gundy so we all know Cale he's Mike's brother uh, coached 30 years at, at Oklahoma he's been out of the game he's been on the sports animal a lot this year I don't know if he wants to continue to do that but one thing I've, I kind of took note of is You know, Mike always used to say he doesn't talk to Kale during the season, and I think that's true when Kale was working full-time at OU. But Kale mentioned a lot how much he talked to Mike throughout the season. He he specifically mentioned Mike was traveling back from West Virginia, and they had a phone conversation. They were talking about just what a great game Ollie Gordon had. I'm curious how much input Kale has had with Mike in terms of how the offense really kind of shifted and, and molded and changed over the course of the year. And I'm curious now that Oklahoma is no longer in the Big 12 because Cale would not want to coach against Oklahoma. He played there, coached there for, again, 30 years. He's there longer than as long as Bob Stoops. I'm curious if Cale would like to not necessarily join the staff in a full-time position because they don't currently have one. They could certainly make one for him. I think he likes – not working as much based on just hearing him talk on the sports samba i wonder if he'd be interested in like a uh, one of those offensive analyst type positions where you don't go on the road and recruit because i'm sure kale and a lot uh, a big part of him misses football and i think he likes helping i think he likes talking ball with his brother i think he probably wants to get back in the game perhaps i'm curious if kale gundy can work his way onto the staff in some capacity because I do think he had some influence this year. Uh, I don't have any reporting on that. Uh, just kind of reading the tea leaves here and Kale's a very good offensive coach. If people remember, he was the offensive coordinator. When OU played that bowl game. Well, with Bob Stoops, as the head coach, Who, who'd they light up? It's, they, they lit some, someone up in the bowl game.
0: Caleb Williams started that game. Um, Bob Stoops, Caleb Williams' only bowl-winning head coach. I can't remember who they beat. They looked good.
1: I'm pulling it up now. Let me let me pull right. it up real quick.
0: 12 school, Colorado maybe? No, they were terrible before Deion got there. Um,
1: they lost to Florida State last year. Oh, they lit up Oregon. A top, They were okay. ranked 14th in the country. Cale called the plays in this game, and they really valued they, – they ran the ball more than they ever had under Lincoln Riley. They put up 564 yards on Oregon. So, Cale knows offensive football. And I think he's a great offensive mind that I would, because look, Casey Dunn had ended up having a great year. The offensive line was solidified under Charlie Dickey, but I don't really want to see them just rest on their laurels and run it back. I think Kale does provide a fresh perspective, and I'm curious to see if he gets involved in some way in a more official capacity.
0: Uh, I love the idea of him as an offensive analyst. I think that that's perfect. You don't, it's not the grind of the recruiting trail like you mentioned, but an extra set of eyes on things I think could go a long way. And I hope that Casey Dunn, if that was on the table would be receptive to the idea because as much as Casey Dunn, I think has grown as a play caller. And I think that this offense uh, with a a stationary quarterback, throwing the ball down the field. I think that that kind of just fit his eye and his scheme a little bit better than what he was trying to piece together with Spencer. That always just kind of seemed like the puzzle pieces weren't lining up just right. Um, I hope Casey Dunn would be receptive to the idea of having an extra set of eyes. Uh, on his offense, because if kale can impart any wisdom, I think Oakland State would be here for that. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good one. And that was a little out of left field. So kudos to you for, for coming up with that as a New Year's resolution.
1: They ran for 322 yards against Woo. Oregon.
0: Woo. Now, you think look, that would help that bowl, Ollie at all? Was that the bowl game where OU turned it over six times? When was that?
1: Uh, no. That was, oh, that was um,
0: last week. My bad. That was last week. I that forget. was last week. But, yeah, I guess, again
1: – Three hundred and twenty-two rushing yards for a team that really hadn't run the ball that well that year.
0: Um, yeah, that's impressive. That's really impressive. I I would take Kale's set of eyes on the offense for sure.
1: Yeah. So uh any personal New Year's resolutions?
0: Uh just one. Just one. It's something I've been working on, and I'm continuing to work on uh getting even better at it. Less screen time when I'm with others, particularly my daughter, but even around friends and family as well. Um Whatever app I'm clicking into to to scroll, it's going to be there when I'm by myself, right? When I'm by myself, I can check those things. When I'm with people, I want to make a better effort at being more present, at being with the people that I'm around um, because I can get on my phone whenever I get home. I I, I made it a point last night. My wife had to work late, so took my daughter out to eat. We just did a little daddy-daughter date. I put my phone in the diaper bag. I didn't get it out. I didn't look at it the whole time. It was about an hour. It was just her and I, and it was great. And I, I want to, um, I want to spend more time just being with the people that I'm with. So that is my resolution for 2024.
1: That's a good one. I like that. Uh, I think we could all use a little less screen time. Uh, that's a that's a good one. I'll, I'll probably try and put that one in there too. For me, it's trying to read more. You know, Colby, it's so hard for me to pick up a book, but once I open it, I pretty much read it quickly. Uh, and I've learned a lot from the few times I have read books. I I read a financial planning book during COVID that I still, I, I wish someone had had me read 20 years ago, uh, young listeners, you know, I'd kept my, my money and, you know, just a standard checking account, earning no interest, learning about ETFs and, you know, mutual funds, things of that nature. Vanguard is a huge resource, uh. I've made a lot more money with my money I currently have after reading that book. So I'm going to try and read more books on, you know, stuff that will help me in throughout just regular life, trying to try and put down the sports podcast every now and then and and read more to, to make me smarter. Cause man, if I'd read that book 20 years ago, I'd have a lot more money. So it's for all you young kids out there, Google ETFs, get your money in something like that. Uh, S and P 500, stuff of that nature, because man, uh, you can make a lot of money just by putting a few, uh, they're just putting, you know, a thousand dollars in it right now, and ten years, you'd be shocked at at what it would be. So, I want to read more in twenty twenty four.
0: Yeah, that's a good one as well. I I find myself, um, I've read more over the last few years than I did when I was probably in my younger to mid twenties. But I just find myself reading golf books over and over again and uh, learning more about golf and about the mental game and about all these different things. And I should probably try to incorporate something other than golf improvement books into my. Rep- <laughs>
1: Shout out to Ben Hogan. Uh, I am doing dry January as well. I did it last year. It really kind of helps clear my mind. Uh, It's kind of, it's really a refresher after holiday season, you know, because we're home a lot. It's easier to crack open a a yingling or two or three or more. So I'm going to try and cut back on that a little in the meantime.
0: Yeah, that's a good one as well. Um, Before we move on to yingling, because I'm sure that that is where we are headed. I do want to talk a little bit of basketball with you. How, how much have you transitioned your brain? We are approaching conference play. Oklahoma State hosts Chicago State. Tonight is the last non-con game. I love having the two home games against South Carolina State and Chicago State after Christmas. Get your legs back under you. Kind of get some feel. Um, and then the first four games of conference play, and this starts Saturday at Gallagher-Iba, 2 o'clock. Home against 18th-ranked Baylor at Texas Tech. They're undefeated at home this year. At Iowa State, they're undefeated at home this year, and then home against Kansas. Those are your first four in the Big 12 Conference. How are we feeling, Carson, as uh, the non-con winds down and you get ready for the gauntlet of the Big 12 for point Boynton squad?
1: Beaten down, tired, discouraged. That kind of sums up my OSU basketball fandom. I mean – seven and five already at this point doesn't get me too fired up now I, I do follow it way more when, when now we're getting into conference play so I I have watched uh, I like some of the pieces they have I, I think Bryce Thompson as I've mentioned if he can kind of challenge for an all big 12 spot I think that will go a long way but you mentioned the schedule Colby it's it's daunting and making me feel a little discouraged got to be honest with you but uh we'll see how they do I'm um pessimistic probably the ultimate word I would use
0: Yeah you get Kansas twice. This year, you get Oklahoma twice, a good Oklahoma team twice this year. You get a good BYU team twice this year. You have to play at Houston, um, at Texas. It, it's not going to be easy in the Big 12. There, there have been some things in this four-game winning streak that Oklahoma State has done. I've watched a couple of them that have given me a little bit of optimism. It's The schedule is what gives me pessimism. The youth is what gives me optimism, the fact that these guys can still grow, and you need Bryce Thompson to be star Bryce Thompson. Uh, but Javon Small has been so good coming over as a junior, averaging 15 15.5 a, a game, and he's shooting nearly 45% from three, and that's leading the team in attempts with 58 attempts. Um, and aside from Isaiah Miranda, who's one for two from three on the season, he leads the team in three-point percentage. This team, I believe, has already had as many games of double-digit three-point makes as what this team had all of last season. So that gives me some optimism that they can pull off an upset or two with the long ball. But this game Saturday against Baylor is huge because if they could pull off that upset to start 1-0 and in conference play and then you just hope you can get one of those two road games before you have to play Kansas at home, that's best-case scenario because you could very easily lose to Baylor and Kansas at home. Texas Tech and Iowa State are tough places to play. You could start 0-4 in conference play before you even blink. So hopefully they can get the one Saturday at home against Baylor because that would really get them off to a nice start in Big 12 play.
1: Yeah, I really like Javon Small. I'm, I'm interested to watch him play more as we get into a uh, big 12 play. So it's time for the Chris's university spirit uniform review brought to you by Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Okay. Our friend Justin Southwell has been kind of uh, updating us with this new Twitter account. It's called OSU tracker. It's at okay. State tracker tracking all the uniform combos for your uniform aficionados. And they kind of put together kind of a graphic of every uniform they wore this year, Colby. So I task you, what was your favorite uni combo?
0: Yeah, you said this earlier, and I looked at it for a while, and I went back and looked at some pictures of the different uniforms, and I had, a, I had a couple of contenders, so I can give you my contenders after we each give our selections if you want me to. But I ended up settling on the black-orange-black combo against BYU. It looks so good. The picture of Ollie doing the Heisman pose in the end zone with his offensive line there around him. Um such a clean sharp look and and there were four or five that i debated at putting at number one so if if you have a difference of opinion i was probably pretty close to leaning your way but i ended up going with the black orange black against byu with the brand on the side of the helmet
1: that's a good one that would probably be my number three i just i can't get away from the from the all black with the curse of cowboys they wore against texas and they wore it against kansas state It was between that and the ou combo of black black orange i just the more black the better uh if you're going with an orange jersey, though, I think black, orange, black is probably my pick as well. But as I look at this tracker, I I think I like Cursive Cowboys more than the brand. They wore the brand with the black, orange, black. I think that's the differentiator for me. But I it's hard to beat all black, man. That's that's just such a clean look.
0: Yeah, I had all black on my list as well. I think probably the way the Texas game went soured it for me a little bit. Um, even what though about probably... Kansas
1: State, they they won in those same
0: yep. year. They did win in them against Kansas State. I thought the Kansas look was really clean, the orange-orange-white against Kansas. Um, I don't know that the logo here on the tracker looks as great, but, man, the pictures from that game with the sun shining bright on the orange helmets, white stripe down the middle of them, I thought looked really good. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm liking the orange, the orange shirts a little bit more with some, some accents in the helmet and pants because I, I really like the BYU look, the Kansas look, uh, but I also loved Bedlam and Kansas State with some more black in there.
1: One that kind of grew on I me mean, was the Cincinnati with the white, orange, black with those two stripes. Like the I think it was the orange and maybe white stripe, orange and black stripe. Those that would look pretty sharp too. Kind of an underrated combo, but I think I think I agree with you though on on your pick too. If, if I had to have a runner up,
0: yep, absolutely. They looked great all season, and I'm looking forward to next year already. I, I hate that college football season is is pretty much over.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Toast of the week brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. What direction are you going in?
0: Uh, I'm going to the NFL, and I am going to none other than one Mr. Justice Hill. Justice has had every bad break thrown his way since he got into the NFL. Um, some of them literally breaks and tears. He, he's fought injuries. He's fought depth chart. Um, you know, every time it seems like he's going to have his chance, he gets hurt. And then they bring somebody else in. And, and this year it's gone the other way where Keaton Mitchell had pretty much usurped him on the depth chart. And now Keaton Mitchell tore his ACL uh, or his Achilles, whatever it was. He's out for the rest of the season. And Justice Hill comes in last week against Miami. He was so good for Lamar Jackson earlier in that game. Lamar is just playing out of this world football, and he caught justice a couple of times early in that game on the wheel route up the right sideline, one of those for a touchdown. He ended up in that game with, I believe it was 112 all-purpose yards and a receiving touchdown. Um, he is going to be a big-time contributor in the playoffs for the team that right now looks like the best team in the NFL, and assuming they don't cool down after they they don't play for two weeks, um, I mean, two off weeks. They're going to go three weeks in between games, really, with the starters not suiting it up this weekend against Pittsburgh. As long as they can keep it rolling, Justice and Tylan have a very good chance to win a Super Bowl. So Justice Hill gets my yingling toast of the week.
1: Yeah, shout-out to Lamar Jackson. Help me win my high-stakes fantasy football league. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lamar. Thank you, Justice. Really appreciate that. Uh, my toast is going to the Iowa Hawkeyes, and it's a positive one because despite – Losing to ranked opponents by a combined score of 92 to nothing. <laughs> they became the first team since 1934 centenary to score under 16 points per game and win 10 games. They averaged 15.4 points per game. And I commend Iowa because they're simply a byproduct of a terribly overrated, offensively inept football conference. I commend them for beating up on the dregs that is the Big Ten despite running an offense from the year 1890. It's not their fault that they know how to beat these horrible, horrible, stinky teams in the Big Ten. So I commend them. Now that's going away now that they got Oregon and Washington coming to town, but I commend Iowa. I don't, I don't downtrod them. They are who I thought they were, but they're, they're above average in a horrible, horrible conference that has gone. 0 and three in ranked matchups in the bowl season. you see how bad Penn State is offensively? Like, people think Penn State's good. And Michigan and Ohio State get this marquee win every year for beating Penn State. They stink. They're terrible. They're not even that good defensively. And this will also be, one last note, this will be the first time since, in the last 25 years, a team not named Ohio State from a northern state will win a national championship, despite everyone thinking the Big Ten's great. So. There you have it. A lot of people are coming around, Colby. A lot of people. Even Dave Portnoy, the Michigan man himself, said the Big Ten stinks. And I I rest my case.
0: The Big Ten does stink. They're getting a lot better with Oregon and Washington. Um, I guess the National Championship Monday is kind of a game between two Big Ten schools. I hate, hate, hate that Michigan was able to come back and beat Alabama. I do not want Michigan to win for a multitude of reasons. The persecution complex from the fan base after they got caught cheating. I think Jim Harbaugh is just a smug. You know what? Um, and I do not want to see them win on Monday against Washington. They've got a good team. They might be able to do it. I was really rooting for Bama and Washington. Glad Washington was able to get it uh, pulled out. By the way, do you think they should change the rule? I'm sorry, but if you're leading a game inside two minutes and your player gets hurt, the other team shouldn't get a free timeout because of injury. I- uh, th- to me, the clock should have stopped while Johnson was injured, and then the clock should have restarted on the official's whistle. The fact that Washington almost lost out on a chance to go 15-0 and 0 and win a national championship because the running back got hurt, that's a bad rule, man. I think they need to change that.
1: Did they make Washington take a – did they assess them a timeout for the injury? Is that what happened?
0: No, what happens is it, inside two minutes, if a player gets uh, injured, I don't think Washington even – maybe Washington did have timeouts left. I don't know, but um, – Basically, they asked Texas if they wanted the 10-second runoff. Like, the clock was just stopped for injury. Texas just declined the six sec- the 10-second runoff. And then instead of Texas getting the ball back with, like, 12 seconds, they got the ball back with, like, 52 seconds. No,
1: I, I watched that. I just didn't know if they got assessed to timeout, and that was the rule. But, no, you're right. They have to change that. That was almost one of the worst, most egregious endings to a game I've ever seen. And – Shame on the Washington coach for not just taking a knee. What are you doing? You're not even trying to get the first down. You get your starting running back injured, and it stops the clock. Like just, just take a knee. Like why? Why do coaches overthink this so hard? Like if you're if you're playing NCAA football in the video game, you you call the kneel. You don't try to run it because you could fumble.
0: Yeah, I, I think what his logic was, and I'm, I'm really reaching here to try to give him the benefit of the doubt, was, okay, Texas is going to get the ball back with 10 to 15 seconds left if we run three plays, because every one of those runs up the middle will kill four to five seconds. So if we don't kill that time, instead we're killing three seconds, that's going to give them an extra 10, so we can give it to them with 12 seconds left instead of with 25 seconds left. So I, I think he was doing some math in his head on how long it would take to run those plays to give Texas less time, but... The only disaster scenarios in that situation are if you run plays and something goes wrong. If you kneel three times and kick it back to them with 25 seconds, they've still got to go 90 yards, and then you interfere with the punt returner. Like, it was just (laughs) a calamity of things going bad for Washington there at the end. But then Texas wastes a play on first down, running a five-second screen for negative one yards, and then the play the corner made on the final play of the game where he just – Levitated high up into the air and volleyball spiked that ball out of bounds was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean you could just snap it to Penix and let him roll to the right and then just slide anytime anybody comes close. I mean they could have wasted time in much safer manners, but thank goodness yeah. Texas yeah. didn't win. That was that was going to be a crime.
0: Real quick, speaking, you mentioned Iowa a few minutes ago. Caitlin Clark, so good, honorary Yingling toast.
1: Uh, she hit the buzzer beater, right?
0: I mean, left her fingertips with like two seconds left. It was a step back from the logo in a tie game. Um and she barely got it off. I mean, she didn't even have the ball. Somebody else brought the ball up the court. She got the ball in her hands with like 2 seconds left. One dribble, step back from the logo. Just never had a chance of even touching the rim. She's so good.
1: yeah she's she's amazing. Uh it's going to be interesting to watch uh, Michigan defend the Ford pass for the first time all year because that was not vintage Alabama. I know they beat Georgia, but I mentioned it, they they won against Arkansas, Auburn, and A&M by a combined, like, 12 points. They're just, they're not, vintage. vintage Alabama shuts out that Michigan offense, which is also not very good.
0: Alabama beating Georgia this year is such a testament to how great of a coach Nick Saban is that he was able to scheme up a plan to beat Georgia I mean, Alabama just got demolished in the trenches against Michigan, which, I mean, how often has Alabama gotten beaten in the trenches over the last 15 years? Almost mm, ne- never. Yeah, and they just got crushed up front on both sides of the ball. So Michigan's really good. They could physically overwhelm Washington at the line of scrimmage, but Penix is on a heater right now. I mean, he, he's doing college football's version of Lamar Jackson right now uh, with the way he's playing. So I am I am rooting so hard. For Washington, I might still have some Chickasha, uh purple and gold gear somewhere that I can break out.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, Washington's a lot better than I thought up front on their defensive line. They, they really got after Texas.
0: I think Washington's a lot better than everybody thought. I, I was at Top Golf Monday with a couple of buddies, and one of them said that he bet Texas and he thought they were going to win big by double digits. And I said, "Fade Washington at your own peril." Everybody keeps doubting them because they don't have the logo, and here they go. They just they keep beating people. So uh, I know they're like what I think four point underdogs or something Monday night. But the way Penix is playing, I I wouldn't be shocked if they won that game.
1: I wouldn't either. And again, just people have underrated them all year. They're they're way better up front than than I thought. So we'll have to see. But Penix is special. That was the degree of difficulty. On those deep balls, he kept hitting were just off the charts, and he's mobile enough. He makes them miss, so he'll he'll definitely get a lot of pressure. But as he showed, he can he can evade the rush. Should be a, a great national championship game. And with all due respect to Jim Harbaugh, Washington is now America's team. Everyone will be rooting for them.
0: Oh yeah. You either like went to Michigan and are a diehard Michigan fan or you're rooting for Washington. There's very little in between. I don't know if you saw the pro football focus graphic. They graded every player at every position in the college football playoff semifinal games. Michael Penix was the highest graded player at 93 and change. Number two was Quinn Ewers and he was at 80. He was 13 points higher on PFS grading scale than the next best player at any position in the semifinals.
1: Yeah. He was that good. He was special and, they made Texas' offense look somewhat ordinary. I wish uh, you did not. So we'll we'll see uh, what Texas looks like next year, but they're clearly going in the right direction. So, All right, Colby, uh, happy new year, and uh, we'll get back with you next time.
0: Yeah, absolutely great stuff. Oklahoma State and Baylor this weekend. If you're able, 2 o'clock Saturday, Gallagher-Iba Arena. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Happy new year. Go Pokes!